The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question via the listener inquiry button or you can listen to old shows via uh, our archives, of which there are plenty. All right, good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little boxes there on my screen. How are yeah. you today? Hey, good morning, Scott. Excellent. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I'm reading the news of the day, specifically around what's happening in the United States, and I'm thinking, boy, I have to talk to Don and Andy and figure out how they can do something magical for me, so I only have to pay $750 in tax every year. Yeah. <laughs> it, it works well, for the President of the United States. you don't lose as much money to write off expenses like, uh, you know. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, I guess if you lose enough money, you can carry those losses forward and keep going against current income. I think his refund check was something like $72 million. And I know, Andy, with your philosophy, you wouldn't be happy with that. <laughs> no, he clearly had some bad planning there. He, yeah. should have been, he should have had that cash flow in his pocket from day one. But I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that in the U.S. there, I mean, I was hearing things about his uh, writing off haircuts, writing off personal stylists, writing off all kinds of things, oh, business expenses, which I'm sure that's part of the reason the IRS is challenging him. But uh, and it's certainly his daughter being paper. paid on a, a consulting fee, even though he works, she works for the business. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, no wonder he wasn't too um, forward in, in getting those tax returns out and gone all the way to the Supreme Court to keep them at bay. But uh, you know what? Um, you know what? There's a big difference from tax avoidance and tax evasion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a legal way to do this, is there not? That's ten years in jail, or what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, about, about ten years in jail. And uh, you know, I guess uh, you know he was very aggressive in his tax filing, and you know those expenses will probably just be just. Dis- you know, dismissed, and he'll end up paying a bunch of tax. So, but the interesting thing is, with anybody, is when you lose money, you get to you you get to claim that against other income. The exception would be capital gains. If you have a big capital loss, you can only claim those against future capital gains. So, if you have a say, you bought a stock and you put a hundred thousand in it, say Nortel, and you sold it for a dollar and basically lost your hundred thousand. Well, you you can't write that hundred thousand off. You can use that hundred thousand against future gains that you you could make, and those would only be for non-registered investments. So, if you bought say a a different stock that went up or a rental property that went up, and you sold it, then you could use that against those gains. So, yeah, and I guess uh, we'll find out what happens south of the border. Uh, it's always a bit of a soap opera, and it has been for quite some time. Never a dull moment, right, Scott? No, no, it always makes for interesting. So, uh, you know, we're still in the midst of this pandemic. We're seeing the market react to this. We're seeing uh, an increase in cases and in the chatter of restricting uh, the economy. But it appears that everything is going to be quite targeted. But is this affecting the market in any way? Well, it's been somewhat sideways of late. It hasn't done much. But I, just, I did want to go kind of back to that March, February 19th to March 23rd. And in those, you know, just over a month, we saw the Dow or the S&P 500, which is the U.S. stock market, go down about 33%, about a third. And it was absolutely incredible. Net redemptions in mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, ETFs, was very similar to what happened in the 07 to 09 
era with the global financial crisis. And that took 17 months to run from its peak, where it hit its high, to its trough. And, that, and then, basically, there was a decline from September 15th, 08, to March 9th, 09. The decline was 57% in the market. So definitely, it was a stronger decline. But you know what? This one was just a lot shorter. But funny enough, still tons of people went running for the hills, taking their money out of, out of their investments, um, in, in just robes and putting it in cash, which, you know, it doesn't seem to matter. They're, it's very predictable. People do the wrong things. And this is why the average investor does far worse than the market. And, you know, part of our job, I suppose, is really to make sure people follow the plan. So there's this, um, an, an index. It's called the VIX, B-I-X. And it's often known, it's known as the fear index. And you may have heard about this one before. Well, during this last pandemic, this fear index actually was greater. It actually blew through the global financial crisis mark on the VIX, and it spiked to levels never seen before in the history of this index. That's how scared the investors were or the confidence factor was. So it's amazing how, like I said, it's very repeatable. Investors simply do the same thing. There you go from being euphoric, where literally we were doing quite well of February 19th, uh, February 18th, everything was fine. February 19th, everything started to go down. Um, and then it, then it goes to panic, and everything drops like crazy. Literally a third of all the wealth in the market dropped in a period of just over a month. Like, how can you predict something that quick? But then things go back up, and, and we repeat it again. And this has happened. I know Andy and I have both been in this same business since uh, the mid-'80s. And we've seen a number of these incidences. And the one thing that's about it, it's going to happen again. This happens all the time. This is not a, a, a new event. Um, and we just learn, basically, there's a bunch of things we learn from this. You can never time a market. And uh, we, we did talk, I, I know I talked to a few people. Uh, one was a client of mine. And fortunately, once he found out how much the capital gains were by selling his investments when they were down, he decided not to sell. But he was, the, he was for sure, he thought the market would continue to drop, but he didn't want to pay a big, giant tax bill. I haven't heard from him since, because um, <laughs> he's 100% recovered, or very close to, and not only had he had sold, he would have had a big tax bill, but he also would have missed out on a 30% increase in the stock market. And he would have had to take that money out of cash, so he would have lost 30% growth, plus he would have had a big tax bill. Uh, these declines of this size, of a say a 30% drop, they're common. They happen frequently, like they, you know, maybe once in a decade. It's not every time. You know, nobody wants to go through them, but it is it is a common thing that happens with the markets. And you just never know when the crises will end. You know, we nobody knew March 9th, 2009. That's the bottom. In fact, if I read most of the journalists at the time, whether whichever paper or or website you read. They thought it had lots of legs left, and it was going to continue to drop. Um, same with this one. I know back uh, March 23rd, there was no indication that that was the bottom. And it, and it went up a bit, and everybody says, well, it's going to just come back. Wait for the double dip. Remember hearing all about the double dip, Scott? We were doing a show about that not long around that time. I'm not sure it was on the same sort of, never mind. <laughs> he, thought, he thought it was ice cream. Yes. <laughs> double dip ice cream. No, no, this is the market. And uh, it, it's... 
just a normal instance. And it's funny, the same thing happened in 0809. Everybody's saying, watch out for the, the double dip. It's coming back down again. And it's going to be worse, almost like the pandemic, in the say, case that the reoccurrence of it will be worse than the original one. And that never happened in the markets. We don't know yet. Time hopefully will tell, and it won't be as bad um, as far as the pandemic goes. Equities are the only way to accomplish your financial goals. You have to have them in your, in your portfolio. You're not going to make any money if you have it in GICs. You know, right now, say GICs for five years, you might get 1.5%, likely not even that high. And then you've got to pay tax on that money. And inflation is running higher than that. So unless you have way more money than you need that you can afford not to make a return on your investment, then that's fine. But if you do need to, your investment to make money and beat inflation, you have to have equities in your portfolio. And funny enough, optimism, being optimistic. It's kind of funny. I, some people looked at me like I had two heads when the market's down on March 23rd. And, they're, and I'm saying, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year that we end up a positive return. Because this is only the first quarter. We still have three quarters to go. It's kind of like the football game. You know, after the first quarter, you don't call who's going to win the who's going to win the game after the first quarter. The same happens applies to the stock market, and it turns out optimism optimism remains the only realism, because in general the markets do rise. So, funny enough, if you actually go back from and look at the U.S. stock market, and and, and again the reason we use that market, it's the largest market, 500 companies, far more established, and really it's about 60 percent of the wealth of the markets reside in the U.S. So if you go from 1926 to 2019, the average return for those 94 years was 10%. Pretty good. And certainly uh, inflation wasn't anywhere near there. I think it was probably like 4 or 5%, about 4% actually, I believe. So you made about 6% over inflation. Out of those 94 years, there was only six years where that return, the annual return, was within 2% of that 10%. Meaning, the return in any year, only six times it was between 8% to 12%. The other 88 years was outside of that range. In fact, the range went from 54% above 10%, so there was one year, I guess, where it made 64%, and there was a year where it was 43% below the 10%, which was a negative 33% drop for the year. So you're going to get some volatile years. But at the end of the day, if you actually just went to sleep and you waited it out over a course of whatever amount of years, at least, say, a decade, you would have averaged about 10%. Now, out of those 94 years, 69% of those years were positive, which, and 25% of those years were negative. So it works out about 73% of the time you're going to have a positive year. 27% of the time, there will be a negative year. But again, does it really matter? Does it matter that you went down 27% in one year? Again, not great news when it goes down, but what was the purpose of that money? Was it there to see if you needed to spend it in a year? Well, if that was the case, you probably shouldn't have been in equities. Um, is it to fund your retirement and beat inflation and, and, and help beat in, you know, longevity risk, which means you may live a long time and you need to have your money last? Well, if that's the case, it really doesn't matter if you had a negative year because you're going to have three positives to every one negative, and your return is going to average 
certainly a heck of a lot higher than GICs. So it's funny, Peter, Peter Lynch has, has often, he, he's a, a fund manager that has you know, done extremely well investing, not a timer, could never time the market. Warren Buffett has also has never mentioned that he could ever time the market. And one quote of Peter Lynch's is, if you spend more than 13 minutes analyzing economic forecasts, you've wasted 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and really, at the end of the day, patience, put the money away, and, and listen to your financial planner. Make sure you have the plan and follow the plan. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister, Don Fox here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about estate planning this time out. Yeah, and I, this is something that um, is near and dear to you know, Don and I. You know, as our clients have aged over the years, we often are dealing with um, clients who have passed away, and it's also something that everybody thinks about. You know, we spend so much of our time and effort trying to accumulate wealth, and then only to you know con- worry about how much of our wealth is going to be eroded due to estate taxes, and. Um, and I think in addition to that, something that clients often talk or ask me about is I'm really concerned that, you know, we've done well financially, and I know our children are going to benefit from that, but I'm really, really concerned about them losing motivation if I talk too much about what they have, how much we have, and how much they might receive. And so that's a concern I hear a lot. And the other big one is the fear of an ex-son or daughter-in-law getting 50% of the value of an estate after your death. And, um, and of course, just the fear of paying too much estate tax overall. And I know Don and I have talked a lot about uh, what we call the, the little tax, probate tax, or the estate administrative tax here in Ontario, as they like to call it, and the big tax, which is the income tax, which is due at the, at, at, in, the final, in the year of death as well. So unfortunately, too many of us still don't have a will and in fact, I think it's around uh, 45% of people have a will. And, you know, I was away um, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago with a, with a couple, and they were talking about using, uh, putting together a will kit and that it was only going to cost a couple of hundred bucks. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, you have a fairly complex financial situation. I, I don't think that's the place where you need to think about saving money. It, it's it's not something that I would be you know at a cocktail party bragging about spending two hundred bucks on a will, you know I, how much I saved on on paying for a will. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that's actually worth investing in to get the to get the result that you need and feel mm-hmm. feel confident and some peace of mind around this. And so I just want to start quickly and remind people that if you die without a will, which is called intestate, 
in, and there's succession or intestate succession, and it's different in each province, so I'm just going to uh, speak specifically to Ontario. Um, the, the legislation is very clear in terms of how things will unfold, and that may not be the way you want them to unfold. And, and the first thing in terms of um, dying without a will is that the Ontario Succession Law Reform Act defines a spouse as being entitled to a share of the estate of someone who dies without a will. And the question, though, you know, Scott, if you are in a common-law relationship, do you think that your common-law partner has the same rights as a married spouse? I thought that after a period of time that was the case. Well, the answer is no. They are not entitled to anything under the succession uh, intestate succession act, and it, um, it and really, so as a common law partner, you're basically not entitled to anything under that act. And um, you can, however, as a common law partner, apply for under the uh, Family Law Act. You can apply for what's called dependent relief, and that is sort of basically saying that if you were uh, living with somebody and you were accustomed to a standard of living as a result of that relationship, that you can apply to the estate to maintain your standard of living. But that involves court time, that involves money, and that involves probably a lot of bad feelings in many cases for everybody involved at the end of the day. So it's important to have a will. And so in the absence of a will, uh, oh, and I had one other question for you, Scott. Let's say you are separated from your spouse or your spouse was had committed adultery. Does the fact that you die without a will change what they can access in terms of benefits from your estate? I don't think so. No, you're right. Yeah. Even though you're separated yeah. or you may have been separated as a result, as a re- result of an, an ad- adulteress, mm-hmm. then... Um, uh, it, it really can, um, it really means nothing in terms of yeah. what your spouse will receive. You're asking the wrong guy. I'm a happily married man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what happens if you don't have a will, but you're survived by multiple spouses? Oh, that would be hell. <laughs> Sir- oh, my. Well... The courts say since only married partners are recognized uh, within the intestate laws and polygamous marriages are against the law, it won't matter. So you can only have one spouse. And so when you look at what happens, if you were to die and you had uh, a spouse but no children, then under the Act, in Section 44, you your spouse will receive the entire estate. Now... What happens if you have um, descendants, so you have children, but no spouse? Well, then your children will receive that, under Section 47, will receive all of your estate equally per stirpes. And that just means that uh, even if you had uh, grandchildren of that person, uh, one of your children, and they had predeceased you, those grandchildren will receive them, uh, their share, equal share as well. Um, but typically the situation is you have a spouse and you also have children. And so without a will, your estate will be divided based on a formula. And the formula states that the first $200,000 of the value of your estate will go to your surviving spouse. And depending on the number of children that you have, 
the residual of the estate will be also divided amongst the surviving spouse and those children as well. So if you had um, uh, one child, then the spouse would receive the first 200000 and then 50% of the remaining estate, and the child would get the remaining 50%. If you have more than one child, then the spouse receives uh, the 200000 and then one-third of the remaining estate, with the rest being divided amongst the children. So for, let's just do a quick example. If you had a million-dollar estate, and you die with one ch- and you have one child and a surviving spouse, your spouse gets the first 200,000, that leaves 800,000. That's divided 50-50, 400,000 for to the spouse and 400,000 to the surviving child. So your surviving spouse would get 600,000 and your one child would get 400,000. Now, in the case of uh, two or more children, then um, the spouse receives the 200,000 on that million. And then one-third of the remaining 800000 or 266666 so roughly 466000 and, uh, and the number and the remaining children, surviving children, would receive uh, the balance of it split equally between them. So, you know, there's, there's clearly, that may not be the formula that you want. Uh, maybe it's okay. But at the end of the day, um, that's just one part of the reasons why you would want to have a will to be able to designate who is going to get what and, uh, and, partic- and maybe even how much. So uh, it's possible that you could die without a spouse and you could die without any children. And uh, in that case, then your estate will revert back to your father and mother. And then the, the act goes on to explain that, of course, if you don't have a mother or father that are alive, then it becomes siblings, so brothers and sisters. And then it even goes another step further, that if you don't have brothers or sisters that have survived, then it's nieces and nephews. And then beyond that, it come, becomes next of kin. So it could be aunts or uncles or even getting down to cousins as well, and everybody would share equally at that level of, uh, of family connection. So it, it's... Um, it, it creates a lot of time and effort for everybody dealing with this, depending on the size of your estate, of course, but, uh, and just trying to track all everybody down and make sure they know um, that they've been el- they're eligible to receive part of this. So at the end of the day, you know, I just I can't reinforce enough that it's important to have a will. It's important to have it uh, updated on and reviewed on a regular basis. Don and I are, are not lawyers, and I just want to remind everybody, and we're talking about this today in general uh, terms, but um, we have enough knowledge in the area to review somebody's will and, and basically outline, here's what's going to happen if you die based on what you put in your will. And really just confirming or reflecting back to them and saying, is that what you were expecting? And in many cases, you know, yep, that's exactly what we want to happen, and so we're still on the right page. Or... You know, maybe there's been some changes and suddenly, oh, no, we don't want that going to somebody or we need to adjust this. So there are often it's a good opportunity to just sort of feel, you know what, we've got it it's set up the way we want it. Or wait a minute, there's a few things that we need to to adjust. And so, you know, again, I'm going to come back to maybe what are the reasons why do I need a will? And the first one I'm going to think of is uh, guardianship. So if you have children that are under the age of 18, and need to be cared for in your absence, then you definitely should have a will. And, and, and in advance, you can outline who are going to be the guardians of your children. 
the last thing you want in case of a death of uh, you and even your spouse is to now have family members trying to figure out and deal with who's going to be looking after the children. Um, just having a personal representative, which means that executor, the person that you've named in your will, that's somebody that's going to be able to look after your affairs and deal with the estate. Um, and it's a big job. So you have to know that, you know, are they capable of handling the job? And speaking with that representative is going to be important. Now, sometimes people don't want to be a representative for you. They don't want to be your executor. And I think as an individual, if somebody's asked you to be an executor, uh, you need to be really honest and reflect on it and say, you know what, maybe, um, uh, maybe you just don't have the time to be able to do it. You're so busy right now with your own career, et cetera, that it's not, you won't be able to do it. Uh, maybe you don't live in the same jurisdiction. Like if you live outside of the province of Ontario, that's going to make it much more difficult in terms of communication, et cetera. And uh, so there's a number of reasons why. And I think if you say to somebody in advance, you know, these are the reasons why I don't feel I'm a good choice. I'm honored that you would think of me and consider me. But uh, because, and the reason I'm saying this is that, you know, some say, well, I'll let them name me, but then after they die, if, I, if, I, if I'm still the guy, then uh, I'll, just, uh, I'll just abdicate. I'll, I'll give it over to somebody else. And I'll tell you, the courts might agree with you, but the courts might also say, you know what, we're not going to let you change, and you're the, you're the person. You have to deal with it. So don't assume that you can uh, absolve yourself from the responsibility after the fact. Um, having a will is important if you want to give gifts to children. Uh, without uh, a will, um, and you're giving, uh, you know, giving money to children, it's going to end up in trust until age of majority, and in which case nobody has any control over it. If you have a blended family, I think that's important, key important to have a will. Coming back to common law couples, you know, if you're not married, a will is a great way to be able to then make sure that your common law partner is looked after. Uh, if you've had a separation or a divorce, it's time to review that will. Uh, and updated as well. Uh, gifts to grandchildren, and this is something that I hear a lot about, you know, a parent or grandparent will say, you know, I'd like to be able to give, let's say, a $10,000 gift to each child. Now, that's something that you can put in your will, but you also want to consider uh, what if, say, one of your children had four kids, so one, one kid has four grandchildren, and the other child you have has none. So now at death, you know, $40,000 is going to go to one side of the family and nothing to the other. Uh, but, and that, you know, 40, maybe that's not a lot. But what if you decided you wanted to leave 50 grand to each grandchildren? Now the inequality that could happen could really upset, might upset people as well. And so the problem, too, is that grandchildren are minors, so that that money basically is going to be held in trust until they're 18. So a better solution might be just to give the money directly to your adult child and let them administer it or give, because they might want to use some of the money to support the grandchildren through education or other programs that they're involved in. And, um, and vacation property. So that's another one where wills are a great way. A good example might be, let's say you have a cottage and it's worth, uh, say, $600,000. And you've got one of your children at this point that's interested in taking over the cottage. Well, what you want to do is get a, do a, do a, a, go through the process of understanding what is my estate value right now after tax. And then in order to, let's say we've got three kids involved, in order to make sure that everyone's going to be treated equally, I need to make sure that my estate is worth at least three times that cottage value. So 
1.8 million is what my estate needs to be worth so that at death, uh, the one who decides to take the cottage, everybody else is going to be treated equally. And um, so, you know, there, I think the other area would be beneficiaries with special needs. And we get into what we call qualified disability trusts or discretionary trusts. And these are often called Henson trusts. And the purpose of these is to make sure that that disabled beneficiary or the one with special needs continues to receive and access government benefits. Because basically under these trust arrangements, you're giving money to them, but it's held in trust. They never actually own it. And therefore, they're not impacted in terms of access to their government benefits. Uh, business owners, another reason to uh, have a will. Uh, charitable donations, uh, which is another key one. You might have specific charities that you want to make sure and look after. And then finally, I think the next thing is just understanding from an estate perspective, what is the taxation at the time of death? And, uh, you know, this is a whole other section we could talk about. But I just wanted to really reinforce why people need to have a will and an up-to-date will to feel confident about their financial plan and their financial well-being going forward. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can check out their website at andyanddon.com or call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. Going to take a break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Or you can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. How strong is your financial plan? That's where we're starting this segment. Yes, and there's lots of different aspects to the financial plan. Andy was just going through the estate plan and the wills, power of attorneys, making sure everything's organized, the executor, beneficiaries, etc. And actually, off here, we were just talking about, you know, earlier on I was mentioning about capital losses and how they can only be used against capital gains. And that is true as long as you're alive. But in the year of death and the previous year, you can write those losses against any source of income. So it is important to keep track of all those losses. And, you know, the government does generally keep track of them on the notice of assessment. But, again, it's up to you to actually put the losses on your tax return. Otherwise, they won't be tracked. And a lot of people may think, I'll never use that loss, so therefore I won't put it in. And the estate could still use that deduction. So just a food for thought there. But as far as uh, how strong your financial plan is, COVID, if anything, has reinforced that having a holistic view of your total financial life is more important than ever. It really kind of looks at, okay, what's important? What do I need? What don't I need? And what's essential? And we actually guess we found out what is an essential service and what is not an essential service quite quickly during the pandemic. But a well-constructed financial plan will really monitor your goals and it'll end up, you'll end up feeling far more confident. You'll get this financial confidence and well-being knowing that you have a plan and knowing that you can carry on at a specific lifestyle. Um, and again, this is just for you and your, and your family, because everybody is very different. So financial confidence is really knowing where you stand in all five dimensions of your financial life. There's managing your cash flow. And that's just your day-to-day expenses, what's coming in, where's it going. Um, and again, going through what do I need to spend every month on, 
and what could I forego? And really, some of those uh, non-essential items, such as travel, they just happened automatically. You, you, other than perhaps some travel within Canada, mainly in Ontario, there's been far less uh, people spending money on travel and vacations. And therefore, that extra money, you know, you can say, okay, I don't need that part, and therefore my income could be lowered. And I, I know we did have a lot of our clients suggest, if it made sense to them, to drop their RIF payment. Because under the COVID rules, you could lower your RIF payment by 25% this year. And, you know, why pay the tax on it if you didn't need it? There are some exceptions to that. You also have to manage your brackets and perhaps, uh, you know, are you better off paying it anyway now than deferring it? But, the, again, these are the questions you should be asking your financial planner. Preparing for the unexpected. Now, this is truly what, what we would call the insurance aspect of your plan. Because if you don't have proper insurance, all, those, all that work you did in, in constructing, how you're going to retire comfortably and everything else, will go out the window if you don't have, if there's obviously an unexpected occurrence, such as a disability, a death, a critical illness, um, even long-term care. Uh, and there's insurance for all those areas. And it really can make it so there's a, it ends up being a, you know, obviously an emotional event, but not a financial event when you have the proper coverage. Number three is planning for major, major expenses. And right now, we're having a lot of uh, people <laughs> kind of going back to university, going back to college, and that's one of those major expenses. Now, even if they aren't actually attending, they may be at home right now uh, going to university, taking the courses. There's still tuition, so it is a little less expensive. But having the RESP in order, again, it turns out to be just a financial speed bump or even a non-event if it was planned way in advance. Now, you may also think, okay, I want to buy a sailboat when I retire or a, a you know, sports car or what have you. And again, it's planning for those events or maybe a second property. And again, planning it makes it happen. Um, optimizing your retirement. Looking through all the aspects. How much can I income split? Making sure we're both, my spouse and I, or at least one of us, can stay under the uh, threshold for old age security clawback. So there, you know, perhaps uh, if you can get your income up to about, say, 77000 each, you'll still collect the whole amount of old age security, which is about six seventeen a month, and not lose any of it. And once you cross over that threshold, you start losing $0.15 cents on every dollar you make over that threshold. And then Andy already went through sharing your wealth. And part of it is, of course, written down specifically. And part of it may be, well, maybe I should share my wealth ahead of time. Why do I want to wait for my will to do this? You know, why not just simply say, you know what, my kids are kind of could use 50000 now. I don't need it. I talked to my financial planner, and, you know, maybe that would help with their payments. So, therefore, sharing your wealth could be a legal event, such as a will or a power of attorney, or it could be simply um, doing it ad hoc at the now. So, Again, this is what a financial plan is. It's all five dimensions, not just one dimension. And, of course, investments play into the role of many of these, and, of course, wills and, and insurance and other, and other investments. So you take a look at all areas, look at those five dimensions, and then come up with a plan. Now, once we have this, we end up creating a score, and it's basically a financial fitness score, and we can then monitor that every year when we get together or more often. And then from there, you look at, say, okay, I seem to be a little low on my retirement planning. How much more should I add to that to get that score up? 
or perhaps I don't have enough say for the kid's education or I have the will done. Okay, well, I don't have the power of attorney done. I did it last year. Okay, good. I put that in and now my score goes up. And so this is a great way to kind of, it's almost like a, uh, keeping track as if it was a sports event, keeping track to make sure that you're getting closer to that 100 perfect score. And this is another area to make sure you accomplish all those financial goals. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. I am Scott Thompson. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, Don, we're talking about building a new habit. How do we do that? Yeah, very good. Good question. It's kind of interesting. 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail. And that could be many things. could be an exercise or losing weight or saving money or or not spending as much money, whatever it might be. But they fail um, for a lot of reasons. Um, You know, you often, you know, you might see a lot of people at the gym of January in the first week or two of January. This is a little you see them tail off. Well, people have great intentions. But the first thing you should do, and there's really five steps to creating a new habit. One is create an implementation plan and write it down. And basically, write down that you will, what you will do. So if it say it is to do some vigorous exercise, I will partake in 20 minutes of vigorous exercise. And you write down the day and how many days a week you'll do it. Well, they found that people writing it down, they checked out like many months later, people writing it down had a 91% chance they were still doing it. The ones that didn't write it down, only a 39% chance. Mm. So a massive difference. And this could be the same for an investment plan. I want to start saving X amount of dollars per month. And so if you find you don't have any extra money per month left over, maybe you may have to find, okay, where am I going to get this from? And it might be, okay, I'll, I may not stop at Timmy's as much, or I, I may... Uh, uh, find different ways to uh, get uh, transportation to work or what have you. Or maybe I'll, I'll pack my lunch one day a week instead of eating out, whatever the case is. And certainly a lot of people have been doing that lately because a lot of people are working from home. Yeah. So that savings that you're having right now from perhaps not eating out as often or cafeteria, um, uh, certainly by talking to clients in the last oh, four or five months now, they're, they're finding there's extra money in their bank account. Now it's creating a habit. What do you do with that money? So writing it down is a start. Um, next is just make the new habit a small habit. Don't make it overwhelming. And, you know, weight loss, i got to lose 50 pounds or i got to lose 30 pounds or I want to I wanna do 100 push-ups by the end of the week, whatever you know, it, it might be. And it's, it's, so funny. Big. it's so funny, Don. That's exactly what it is. It's no different than if you were on a diet, if you were starting to work out, if you decided you wanted to do more gardening, whatever it is you want. It, it's the same sort of thing. It's just finance, isn't it? hundred percent the same. And it's funny. I, you know, I deal obviously been dealing with clients for 35 years now and you see identical situations in terms of their financial wherewithal. They make the same amount of money. They have 
two or three kids. They all went to university. They have a, live in the same neighborhood. And one client may have a million dollars. The other client can barely make, make ends meet. And it says, okay, this is pure habit. One has found great habits, and they've accumulated money. And one has poor habits, and they don't. And there was a book uh, written many years ago called The Millionaire Next Door. And it literally said that that the average millionaire in the U.S. It was, it was written by PhDs. And basically, the average millionaire saved 15% of what they made. And that was it. And, yeah. it, and it wasn't that they made a lot of money. Um, I certainly had a, a, one of my largest clients simply worked at Procter & Gamble for many years. And, and his wife uh, taught for about 20 years, had three kids, live on the mountain, you know, very, very kind of standard living. Um, you know, there's several people that did the exact same thing. But a lot of those people do not have the same amount of investments because they just didn't get good habits. It's probably discipline more than anything, isn't it? Yes, discipline is for one, but it's starting, start small. So even if you said, let's say $100 a month is a start, and then because it takes between 18 to 254 days to create a, uh, a habit that becomes automatic. And the more complex the habit, the longer it takes. So you, the, part of it is just trying to make it easier. And often, um, the more you do it, it it, it, the quicker it, it, it basically upticks and it becomes a habit. So you kind of build your, so number three is just build your habit over phases. So if you've mastered this small habit, say 10 push-ups every other day, I'll make it 20 push-ups. Or if you're starting at $100 a month, and let's say you, uh, you know, finally get that credit card pay, paid off. Well, I used to pay an extra $100 to that every month. Let's, let's up that to $200. And then you pay off your, your car. And say, so, you know what, that, that car was uh, $350 a month. We're going to add that note to $550 a month. So we slowly up your savings. And next thing, it gets to the point that you'd actually feel guilty if you didn't do it. Because now it's part of your normal life. Um, and, and very similar to a, a diet or fitness, the ones that are in shape, are, it's just part of their life. They just find time and they feel guilty if they missed a day or or mm. certainly missed a few days and they didn't work out mm-hmm. and it and works the same way with accumulating wealth whether it's uh you know um, buying real estate buying investment but certainly the trick is to make it as easy as you can it's a lifestyle choice 100 percent, 100 percent is an absolute lifestyle choice and and at the end of the day it's kind of interesting you may take it may not be you know you, you are taking a little bit of maybe a little strain at the beginning or a slight sacrifice, but those slight sacrifices down the road are nothing compared to if you don't do it. Mm. Because the sacrifice, if you don't save money, is that you won't have a, you know, a, a very good retirement or you have to work a lot longer. And, and the happiness factor is quite, quite low you know, because your quality of life is not nearly as good as you, it could have been had you have created some good habits. Mm. So number four is, is simply that, reduce the friction. And if you think about it, Uber is a, you know, a taxi company that really what they did, they just made it easy for mm-hmm. people. You'd be sitting in, your, in a restaurant and you'd say, yeah, I'm going to grab an Uber. Well, you don't have to go and stand out in the rain or anything to go hail down a cab. Or you have to go to a, a phone and call one and, and hopefully they're going to come in 20 minutes or so. They made it so simple that you look at your phone you watch where the cab is. They actually tell you. They give you a warning about a minute before. You walk out, and the and the and the cab is there. So they they reduced all the friction. And the same thing with uh, with investing. Reduce the friction. Have it done automatically, and create a pre-authorized check. 
And I know, Scott, we've talked about that for yeah. forever. Uh, you know, certainly you've done this forever, and yeah. I've done this forever. It just, it, just, it just happens. It's the payment to yourself. And you know what, with uh, it being, you know, people always do, is it a New Year's resolution? Is it tax time? When you do this? Good time to do this now is COVID-19 when everything has changed and it's time to readjust anyway the way we're doing things. Now's a great opportunity to uh, take advantage of that. All right, we're going to have to stop it there. We are planning your financial future, or have been. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.